but I put myself in that pro-immigration camp and going the of course you're going to put yourself in a camp you'll be in a camp no doubt (laughs) (laughs) yeah Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting to you seamlessly here on the Big Talker, 1067 FM, every single Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting to you from Central Europe in Vienna, Austria. Great to be at the mic. If you want to catch any of our past interviews and shows, head on over to consumerchoiceradio.com. You'll see a lot more there. All of our vids, picks, the podcast version, if you'd like to listen more. And uh, that's it's a beautiful site. So I'm joined, as always, here on the program by my co-host and colleague, uh, freezing his, uh, his timbers off there in Toronto, Ontario. David, how goes it? Oh, you know it's going well. Um, got to got to watch the pageantry that was uh, President Biden's inauguration, which, um, as a Canadian, is both incredibly entertaining to watch, but I'm also super thankful that we don't try and do anything like that here in Canada because I think a Canadian version of that would be uh, quite cringeworthy. Um, so. Yeah, definitely fun to watch uh, uh, as a spectator, uh, as an outsider. I'm not sure what your take was on the inauguration, but um, yeah, made certainly made for good TV, given that there's really not much going on. Well, I mean, you, you don't need to have additional passengers. You guys have hockey games. Well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so it, it was interesting. I was not able to catch the entire ceremony because I got stuff to do, but from what I was able to see, saw most of Joe Biden's, uh, President Joe Biden's speech. And I say congratulations. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a new start. I mean, everything's got to be shaking up every now and then. So this is, I think, a, a very good move forward. I think overall the pageantry was interesting. Definitely they were playing up the different factions and uh, different diversity of people who were participating in the ceremony. It's actually a mm-hmm. good number of people for it being, you know, COVID restriction time. Yeah. Um, I guess that doesn't really matter. But man, we got to give it to Garth Brooks. Oh, Garth. Singing Amazing Grace. Ooh, man. that was, Between him and Lady Gaga, I was like, okay, yep, they figured it out. This is this is pretty solid. Uh, yeah, and I, heard, fact- I heard some people, uh, some conservative uh, podcasts were like, why would they bring out Garth Brooks? It's like... Well, apparently you guys are too elite-minded, but Garth Brooks speaks to 80% of the country, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to put it into perspective for listeners, Garth Brooks played four sold-out concerts in Ottawa the last time he was in Ottawa. So he's in, uh, like, middle-market Canada, and he's selling out huge stadiums four nights in a row. Like, this guy is an absolute rock star. Um, and you know what? It was a bit of a olive branch to country listeners who are obviously predominantly Republican. Um, and I really conservative, like the, conservative. We won't say. Uh, yeah, sorry, conservative. Yes, there's an important distinction. Um, so I really like that. Um, and yeah, it's a little gimmicky and and whatever, but it, it does it does at least 
I mean, it's if if you compare and contrast, I didn't watch the Trump inauguration. I did watch it, but I didn't watch it and come away feeling like, okay, cool, we're all kind of on the same team here. Where with Biden, yes, again, it was maybe a little gimmicky and a little showy, but you did come away with the sense that they were making an honest effort to try and be like, okay, guys, like, take a deep breath. We're on the same team. Let's uh, let's try and move forward here and and figure this out. So, um, kudos to to the Biden administration for a uh, what looks like a seamless start. Um, also, there has to be a congratulations to Kamala Harris, who obviously you and I have talked about um, Kamala quite a bit uh, on on the show in terms of her policies and her poor criminal justice record, but. Regardless of that, it is nice to see some glass ceilings broken. Um, so, so certainly a, a well-deserved kudos for um, for having a more represented, more uh, a more diverse and representative face um, and 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 perspective uh, in the second highest position in the United States. So, uh, I think that's that's worth celebrating as well. Well, and speaking of breaking glass, we'll be speaking uh, later in the program with Joshua Childress, a uh, former agent of the Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there'll be interesting stuff that we'll be discussing on immigration, on what it was like to actually work there, and what led him to actually resign from the Border Patrol um, after he had learned much more about the issue of immigration. So Mm -hmm. that'd be cool. And speaking of that, of course, Kamala Harris, uh, a lot of different people were claiming ownership. Um, so I did hear that, uh, obviously, she is the first, uh, I guess, vice president who is uh, African-American, first woman, obviously, first South yep. South Asian. Yep. I even saw a uh, tweet by the uh, Quebec premier, Francois Legault, saying that she's a Montreal girl, because she yes. studied in Montreal when she was she young did. and lived in yep. Ottawa. And um, so I guess uh, Canadian-American almost. I don't think she has yeah. citizenship, but... Interesting. No, as well. yeah, I actually I don't think that she ever got citizenship, but she certainly did spend a considerable amount of time in Canada. Um, so there is an interesting Canadian angle there. Well, that's um, why she she wanted to go to California afterwards and uh, turn to her level of politics. But yes, congrats <laughs> to uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Uh, I think you had mentioned this. We look forward to holding them uh, a- accountable as much as we did with Trump. Yes, folks. Yes. And I hope that uh, I'm not one to like whine about in air quotes, the media, especially because we are now part of the media. Um, But I do hope that they I mean, so many of the anchors have said, like, just so you guys know, we're going to we are going to hold the Biden administration's feet to the fire like we did the Trump administration. And I think a lot of Americans hear them say that and maybe roll their eyes and groan and go, really? Um, so hopefully um, the folks across the board can uh, can live up to that expectation and live up to really what is supposed to be the power of the press, which is we are going to ensure transparency and accountability and honesty and those things were maybe difficult to juggle with the Trump administration because every day it felt like um, there was a new issue, new scandal, new thing he tweeted. Um, but hopefully, let, let me go. Let's go back. I remember the Trump inauguration 
mm-hmm. I don't mean to harken back and we don't want to fill up the room with DT um, now that things are changing. But I remember right after the inauguration, uh, this was just in the comments after he had spoken and given a speech. And I remember just how somber it was then. It was like, that was a very dark speech, very dark trend by President Trump. He's, it's a very dark day for America. I mean, I'm, this is mainstream broadcast journalists saying this on TV. You contrast that with yesterday, you know, people saying that they're finally proud again. And I don't know. Look, it is a good time to come together. Um, I don't think many people will forget the last two years, especially um, now that, yeah. you know, also we're, we're loving the cops now. Uh, what else? <laughs> yeah, there was uh, some strange. Yeah, there was some strange. Um opportunities for some big democratic supporters to get dunked on on twitter um taking pictures with national guardsmen and then obviously people retweeting it being like oh okay apparently democrats like law enforcement again um it's certainly a different change now i will say uh flat out that I actually don't mind them taking pictures with the National Guardsmen who are defending the Capitol because you had a pretty pretty serious incident of um, domestic terrorism or insurrection or however you want to call it. And so, I mean, that, that to me, uh, protecting the Capitol in light of what happened on January 6th seems like a pretty appropriate use of, of law enforcement. Um, so uh, some of the dunking on people like Chrissy Teigen seemed maybe a little short-sighted. Uh, well, just do it on Kamala Harris, who is calling for defunding the police herself. Well, yes. Yeah, we, and, I don't want to litigate that. No, There's a lot of other stuff going yeah. on. Um, well, I mean, definitely I, I do, it's a, it's an interesting time. So I do one funny tweet I did see was Maddie Iglesias, um, who post leaving Vox has really like transformed into a very interesting person to read. I try and read as much of his stuff as possible. I encourage our listeners to read you can his get work. through it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's very long, very technical, but he, he did have a very sarcastic tweet saying um, in light of what happened on January 6th, I think our best approach is going to be to defund the Capitol police and instead task social workers with getting to the root cause of why these people were violent. Um, so it was, you know, a, it was Oh a, my God. That sounds quite, great. Yeah. It's a quite a, quite a snide um, remark at the defund police um, mantra, uh, which I think the whole, I mean, we've, we talked about it. listeners can go back and in the podcast episodes where we kind of talk about this at length, there's a difference between saying you want to defund the police and very sensible, reasonable changes where you want to have sentencing reform and clemency reform and drug policy reform, where you're not arresting people for possession and things like that. So, um, you know what that sounds like to me, all of this. Oh, what does it sound like? Sounds like a SmackDown. It's the SmackDown of Capitol Hill. The inauguration of Joe Biden. <laughs> um, for some reason, I ended up recording a lot of uh, WWE and WWF uh, wrestler intro, intro songs over the week. <laughs> I oh, yeah. it, that took me was, back to my childhood there. It was a little yeah. bit of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, sure was. Sure yeah, was. I, I had a clip from Stone Cold. I won't play that now. I'll play that a bit later, uh, maybe in a couple weeks. But 
Let's get into some of the details. I know it's been a busy week, both for mm-hmm. you and myself. Uh, there's been some some really great stuff that's been happening on the consumer choice front. Uh, we've been busy with many different articles. There's the pardons of President Trump that did come out in his final hours, the wee mm-hmm. small hours of the morning. Uh, many of them included Steve Bannon, whom we've Ugh. talked about before. There's Little Wayne, sorry, Lil Wayne, yeah. Kodak Black, a couple rappers, many people who were in the Trump orbit, no doubt. And uh, one person that will be familiar to listeners of the Big Talker in North Carolina is former congressman and head of the Republican Party, Robin Hayes. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to educate our listeners on what Mr. Hayes was convicted of, and then uh, I'd love to hear your take on whether whether or not you thought that pardon, uh, whether that was a good use of a pardon. So when I was uh, growing up and I was in school getting politically curious, Robin Hayes was my local congressman uh, out of uh, Cabarrus County, North Carolina. He was there during the TARP bailouts. He was there in the beginning of the Obama years. Uh, essentially up until about, I think, two terms ago, so a good four to six years ago. And he rose up through the state Republican Party, and after retiring as congressman, he was the head of the Republican Party of North Carolina. And then essentially what happened in around 2018-2019, it was uh, a billionaire businessman by the name of Greg Lindbergh came to him and said, hey, we would like to... Um, donate some money to the insurance commissioner. And uh, Robin Hayes says, oh, sure, why is that? Well, um, we don't like the actions that some in his administration and some of his employees have been taking, so we need to make sure they uh, are corrected and go the right way. So what happened is, essentially, allegedly, uh, Robin Hayes helped um, Lindbergh, this billionaire individual, funnel uh, anywhere from 2 to $3 million dollars to the re-election campaign of the insurance commissioner. The insurance commissioner saw that, flagged it, brought in the FBI. Uh, Hayes was indicted under uh, corruption charges, bribery charges, and lying to the FBI. In the end, he was only uh, able to he was able to plead just to the lesser charge of lying to the FBI. Served no jail time. He got probation. Uh, and that was kind of uh, the done deal. That happened uh, earlier, I think that was last year. He had applied for a pardon and received it. It was pushed by the North Carolina Republicans. Um, some people who are listening to this program likely know Robin Hayes and uh, were following him for a long time. The article that I wrote in the Queen City Nerve, the alternative paper out there in Charlotte, uh, was stating that he didn't deserve it. And he didn't deserve it because we've got over 3,000 nonviolent drug offenders in North Carolina who could have equally deserved a pardon. We have people like Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Ross Ulbricht, people who also could have deserved some kind of pardon, not for political corruption, but for uh, crimes against the state that really aren't crimes. So that's mm-hmm. a, it's a long diatribe, but look, this is a, important. It's unfortunate that it happened. Um, these pardons are within the power of the president, so it's not to say he can't do it, just to say it was not deserved for this particular individual. My former congressman, uh, wish hmm. him wish him the best in his older years now that he is, uh, I guess, off scot-free. Yes, and I, I also, one other person who there was some conversation about was John Kiraku. Um, he probably wouldn't be a household name to many, but he was the CIA whistleblower 
uh, who exposed the fact that they were indeed waterboarding and torturing people. Um, and again, I mean, as it pains me to say, there is a fairly good Tucker Carlson segment on this where he puts it, he goes, you can be in support of waterboarding. I mean, I'm certainly not. But as an American, if you if your government is behaving in a certain way, you have a right to know. Um, and he should not have uh, served jail time and been charged for the act of blowing the whistle on the intelligence community using um, what are widely considered inhumane and illegal tactics um, and counter That seems, seems to be a trend, by the way, of, of people who uh, basically uncover government wrongdoing and then find themselves in the crosshairs. Yes, yeah. And, and I mean, there's a long list. It's Julian Assange, it's Kiraku, it's, um, it's Snowden, uh, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Drake, who I hope that we can get on the show uh, at some point down the road. Uh, to me, those are the people who should be first in line. Well, I would say nonviolent drug offenders. If I was president, I would pardon somebody every day um, because there are thousands and thousands of people who are in prison right now for the crime of just simply possessing um, the wrong uh, plant or the wrong uh, illicit product in their pocket. Um, so, I mean, I would certainly make those a priority, but those who who expose the indiscretions and illegal acts of, of government should certainly be at the front of the line for a pardon. Yeah, and obviously there's um, a lot that went into Trump's thinking on pardons. There was a lot of lobbying. There's a lot of people who are getting paid a good amount of money to lobby for particular individuals. Um, unfortunately, Joe Exotic did not get his pardon. He had his limo waiting. Oh, he did not. I know. Which is unfortunate, but uh, it seems Trump stuck with um, not draining the, the, the swamp at all, but filling the swamp. And yeah. uh, speaking yeah. of swamps, <laughs> uh, one thing that we wanted to talk about is um, this clip that you brought to the table, David. Mm -hmm. um, this has to do with uh, one of the largest states in the union, and it has to do with uh, corruption, and it has to do with... Um, kind of the way forward. So why don't you uh, line this up for us? Yeah. So Bill Maher, uh, who I particularly like, has a epic bit here on California uh, and the Californian swamp. So the mantra of Trump was to drain the swamp. And he basically pivots to say, well, there are other swamps to be drained. Um, and so, yeah, we'll get Jamie to play that Bill Maher clip here. Trump sure didn't drain any swamps, but when it comes to graft and corruption and everybody wetting his beak, California, yeah, that's a swamp too. We can't put up a housing unit for the homeless for less than 500 grand or build a rail line connecting the state for less than $200 million a mile, even though in France, with all their socialism, they did it for more like $15 million. California is a blue state that is completely held together by red tape. It's no wonder people are leaving in droves. I am in year four of trying to get my solar power hooked up. Just building this shed up to code took three years. We'll all be getting our power from dilithium crystals before my solar gets turned on. How about this? Will you hook it up if I let the homeless live in it? Oh, there you go. I love that. Yeah, he's made yeah. very good points there by Bill Maher. Drain the swamp. Yeah, so, I mean, touching on some pretty key key issue areas for us, too. NIMBYism, the fact that 
housing is so incredibly difficult to build in California. Um, highlighting, I mean, I, I think a blue state held together by red tape is like that should go on every line. every Californian's bumper. Uh, or on on the license plate, you know, when they put the saying on oh, the license yeah. plate, that, that should be it because that really is California. It's it's essentially paradise, um, geographically run run by a, a state government that just seems destined to destroy its comparative a comparative advantage um, in terms of its taxes, its regulatory policies, its nanny statism, all of that. So uh, it's nice to see someone who is uh, in California explaining how there are issues at the state and local level that that need to be dealt with uh, as well. So um, always love me a good Bill Maher clip. And that is true. Um, We'll see how Bill Maher will be throughout the entire Biden administration. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's on the docket, David. I figured we'd dig into that. Uh, we yep. do have our interview coming up with Joshua Childress uh, here in about uh, 10 minutes, so we want to make sure that we alert uh, many of our listeners yep. to that. But let's look at the Biden uh, sort of day one, day two um, plan here. 17 executive actions, memorandums, and requests to agencies, a lot of stuff on the pandemic, economic relief, immigration, mm-hmm. climate change, and racial equity. Uh, Many of them were overturning actions of the Trump administration, specifically on things like the travel ban for people from uh, some majority Muslim countries, Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff related to joining the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, There's there's definitely going to be a lot more that'll happen in the next week or so. Uh, This is the 100 days mantra that is always very important for certain presidencies because it's when they have the most amount of support behind them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we'll see, but definitely a lot of the Trump agenda being undone, which I will just add is a reason Congress has to step up and pass laws if they actually want stuff to be permanent, rather than having the president do it all the time, because all it means is that in four years or eight years, it all gets reversed. Yeah, A lot of the stuff that Trump passed by executive order, I hated. Uh, There were a couple things on uh, the Chinese Communist Party that were great. But this is what happens when the other guy gets in there. He comes in there and rips up whatever you wrote. So that's why yeah. you need to have Congress writing stuff. Yeah, and even if you are an Obama fan, this is kind of one of the ugly relics of the Obama era is, is kind of ruling by the pen. And really, it's what opened the door for Trump to do exactly the same thing. And so on some of these, so one example of uh of a bad executive action in my mind is the the canceling of the permit for Keystone, which is a pipeline that will transfer um, transfer oil from Alberta, Canada to Nebraska, which will then link up with all of the other pipelines and eventually get oil to the Gulf. Um, if you care about the environment, you should care about building pipelines. Why? Because pipelines are faster, safer, cheaper um, than than trucking or tankers. Um, which carry a, a, a wide array of, of dangers. Um, and so, yeah, it's a real shame that by executive order, he's canceling this project that is already being built on the Canadian side. Um, so there's a potential lawsuit there. Um, but what I will say is the flip side of that is that part of his executive actions on day one 
are to actually create legislation for comprehensive immigration reform. And so in one hand, he's ruling by the pen, but then in the other, um, they are actually going to seek to pass um, protections for DACA and a pathway to citizenship via the legislative process. And so that's a huge plus for anyone who cares about rules-based order, because then it gets, get, get, it's debated, um, it's amended, it's tweaked. Um, and then it also makes it harder for whoever the next president is to repeal it. And I mean, we get into this a little bit with Josh, so I won't get too ahead of myself, um, but I put myself in that pro-immigration camp and going the legislative route is definitely. Of course, you're going to put yourself in a camp. You'll be in a camp, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So going the pro-immigration route is definitely the. Um, going the legislative route is definitely the right way to do it. Yeah, um, and I th I think with uh, Joshua's part of the conversation here, when we bring him on, what is really interesting is just really what we're talking about when it comes to immigration reform and mm -hmm. who it actually impacts and what we're actually doing that will change things for the better. Because uh, we just don't want to add more bureaucracy. We don't want to add just more red tape. We don't want to add more confusion because that just muddies everything up. No one knows what the truth is. Everyone assumes one thing about the immigration system or another. And having been through the ringer uh, once and, and who knows some other time in the future, um, it's tough. And, uh, you know, any way we can simplify this, make it, you know, to have the United States be a powerful economy that accepts people from all over the world, I think is, is very important. Uh, yes. So we'll definitely, we'll hear from that, uh, Josh coming up, I guess, David, you're gonna, you're gonna lead us into that intro, good man. Yes. So uh, our, our next guest um, will be Joshua Childress, uh, as I as we've noted, a former US Border Patrol agent. Uh, we will get into the nuances of illegal immigration and what can be done and some firsthand perspective of um, what it's like to actually patrol the Arizona border and try and catch people crossing the border. So an enlightening conversation. Uh, so we'll get Jamie to run that interview. Let it go, Jamie. It uh, gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce our next guest um, after deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan uh, with the U.S. Army and National Guard. Joshua Childress took a job as an agent on the U.S. Border Patrol, spending seven years uh, catching illegal border crossers. Uh, but what makes him interesting is that after becoming uh, convinced by the pro-immigration position, he actually felt obligated to resign his post uh, and is now uh, living as a private citizen. Joshua Trelgis, thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. David, thanks for having me. Great. So um, for our listeners, I mean, I've kind of given them a bit of a taste of what your story is, but if you wouldn't mind just elaborating on your role um, in the Border Patrol, what that actually entailed, because I don't think a lot of people really know. And then what were, what were the reasons why you felt like you just couldn't, um, couldn't hold that position anymore? Sure. So uh, my formal title was Border Patrol agent. Um, you know, the whole, I, I was technically a fed, as, as they like to say. Um, 
but yeah, uh, on a daily basis, I would uh, show up to work usually late at night. I, I chose to work the, the evening shifts because that's where all the activity is. Um, I'd show up, uh, check out a truck, check out my weaponry, um, which was a you know fully automatic uh, M4 rifle. Same thing I used in the in the military. Um, get my stuff ready, go to a quick briefing to find out what's happened in the last 24 hours and just head out to the border and kind of drive around looking for somebody to go chase. Um, and I mean, I, I explain it that way. It sounds a little sexier than it actually was. Like it's, it, it's a strange job where, you know, 90% of the time you're, you're, just you're driving about three miles an hour looking for footprints in the sand and then it can go from from zero to 100 real real fast um but yeah i mean just day in day out that was uh, our bread and butter was looking for footprints in the sand uh, our our biggest tool was our our radio and our flashlight to uh communicate with other people and to to track the footprints so i basically was you know hunting people for for that entire time that I was there. And Joshua, and, you came to prominence with um, many of your different articles that you had written. You had different interviews. You talked about how you had sort of come to learn of the different positions that one could have on immigration, thanks to uh, podcast, go podcasting, uh, things like hmm. Thaddeus Russell's Unregistered and uh, your article in the Daily Beast. And I'm wondering what the sort of initial reaction to you coming out and writing this and being very public was either with your family or friends, those around your perhaps former colleagues and maybe some of their comments. Wow. Um, well, my parents were used to it. They're, <laughs> they're, they're kind of used to um, me being a radical in, in one direction or another. So my parents were not all that surprised. Uh, my granny, she's bless her heart. She's, you know, 87 years old, and she still has a hard time kind of wrapping her head around one that I would give up a career with the, the pay and benefits that, that, that were entailed. But um, just the idea of, you know, she's kind of your typical Fox News viewer. No, not typical, because she's a lot nicer. But, um, you know, she's, she lives in that paradigm. So for her, the idea that we would, um, change the way that we approach something as big as immigration was just a mystery and I think still some somewhat of a mystery to her um most of my friends even um those who didn't really understand where I was coming from were, were pretty supportive um and and that even goes for um as I was leaving the border patrol you know they the majority of, of the people that I actually knew um, were like, hey, man, <laughs> I disagree with you, but it, it was a pleasure working with you. It's, it, you know, best of luck. Uh, all of the management was was pretty respectful and kind of surprised to see me go because I was, you know, known as a, a go-getter within the agency. Um, that being said, these are, these are people that I'm, you know, actually knew and intimately <laughs> involved with. Um, I, I did find out after I left that, um, well, so reason, reason magazine did a, a little, uh, video 
on me. And apparently that video made it to Facebook to the, uh, well, actually, yeah, people kind of know about it now, the uh, internal Border Patrol Facebook group. Um, so apparently I, I became famous on that. And um, actually a, a buddy of mine who had transferred to the Northern border called me out of the blue and he's like, man, I just saw this video. I, I you know, are, is everything okay, man? Are, are you fine? I was like, well, yeah, I'm fine. What's, what's going on? He's like, man, I just, I saw all the comments underneath this video and like, they were vicious. They were bad. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I've never been a member of that Facebook group. So I didn't know anything about it, but I, you know, we can all use our imaginations, how people talk on Facebook. So well, welcome to um, the internet. Yeah. That's part for the course. Yeah. Here, yeah. Here comes the, here comes the outrage mob. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, the Biden presidency now is less than a week old. Um, the two of, of Biden's first actions are immigration related one to protect um DACA or to preserve DACA and the other is to provide a comprehensive framework um, for a path to citizenship for the 11 million um, illegal or undocumented uh, immigrants who are currently living in the United States. Um, what I wanted to ask you is when you were working for the Border Patrol, who were the people that you were actually finding? I feel like there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about who is actually trying to cross the border. And so I, I'd love for you to let our listeners know the actual, the, t the type of people who, who were fleeing across the border. Uh, so I, I worked in Yuma um, so my whole time in the border patrol, Yuma, Arizona. So if, for those that don't know, it's kind of right at the corner where Arizona and California and Mexico meet. Um, so that little corner of, of, of the state of Arizona was, was where I did the majority of my work. And um, yeah, so towards the end, it was the vast majority of what we were, were seeing was, um, you know, the, the quote unquote, big, scary caravans, the, the women and children uh, coming from Central America, uh, mostly Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, so that was the vast majority of uh, the last couple of years, and that's that's who we were seeing. But as far as um, uh, you know, people people coming from Mexico and other places, um, yeah, it, it's it's you run the gamut. But I mean, most of them were people who, you know, unskilled labor. It was people who are looking for work. Um, and, you know, we would catch people uh, periodically with, you know, with criminal histories and, and whatnot. And, and those, that kind of stuff always gets, you know, twisted around in the media that, oh, well, obviously we, we know what Trump has said, and I'm not going to give him any more airtime on, on his opinions of, of the people that cross over. But, um, you know, that, that, that's something that I've kind of come to realize after the fact that is just because somebody has a criminal history doesn't mean that they haven't also moved on and they're still just looking to improve their life, looking to work and um, likely send money back to, to family members. Um, you know, that's the, the beauty of, 
of the the system we have right now is you know if you're in a dire situation you can get a pretty low level job and make enough money to work and send money back to support a family i mean that's what a lot of these people are doing um they're living a bare bones existence here which is still better than what they were living you know before they came and then sending what they can back to family um so that's, I mean, the, the vast majority of, of who we came into contact with was people looking to come and work. Yeah, that's an, a very important point. We're speaking with Joshua Childress here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM, Consumer Choice Radio. Joshua, I had a question about something that's been brought up in many sort of civil privacy and civil liberties uh, discussions, and that's the, the idea of the 100-mile border zone. Uh, and this is uh, something that's been brought up a lot by the ACLU. And we saw in uh, probably the last decade um, an increase of Border Patrol agents who would be uh, a bit further from directly on the U.S.-Mexico border and you know, would be interacting with people and having their immigration question uh, or status questioned. Do, can you provide some context on that? Because we can all see YouTube videos, but we don't really understand what's going on. What's the law? Kind of what was that all about? So um, the, the 100 air miles uh, for, for our purposes, for, for Border Patrol purposes, um, you had to have a cert, you know, certain criteria to be able to um, prosecute and um, deport under expedited removal guidelines. Um, and at the time that was, we had to catch them within 14 days of their entry and we had to catch them within 100 air miles of the border. Um, so kind of a straight line from the border to any point, with, as long as we would, would uh, you know, apprehend them within that, that distance and that time period, um, we were generally able to kind of, you know, you're not, re you're not technically circumventing due process, but more or less you are able to just prosecute run through a, an immigration judge and, and deport in a very short amount of time. So that's why that, that, um, that framework is kind of for prosecutorial uh, reasons, that's why it was important to us. Um, for civil liberties reasons, if you happen to live anywhere in that 100 air miles, um, the, the barrier for um, initiating an investigation, which is what we called, you know, basically talking to anybody that we thought was suspicious, um, that barrier is very low, like very low. So whereas, you know, a, a, a normal police officer technically has to have, you know, uh, a fairly high level of suspicion before they can actually stop you to investigate you for a crime, um, a very uh, a much lower barrier for 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 doing the same action for for um, performing the same activities as far as like a vehicle stop or just kind of uh, initiating a consensual encounter with with somebody walking along because they may uh, fit a description or or whatever you know you can kind of just for whatever reason begin to to um, investigate um, so the border patrol has used that to um, set up checkpoints. So these, these checkpoints um, is probably what you're talking about on the, the YouTube videos. Um, 
basically any major uh, pathway through through you know if, if it's on a major highway or anything like that whatever the major route um, to get from anywhere along the border is going to have a checkpoint so um, you know we my station didn't didn't actually have a checkpoint but our sister station ran a checkpoint on um, the uh, interstate eight so that would you know if you were going to Phoenix or LA from anywhere along the border, you had to get on that interstate. So um, right next to my station, there was a checkpoint. And if you were headed in the other direction, there was another checkpoint. So anywhere you went along that, that major roadway, you had to go through a checkpoint. That just sounds like, that just sounds like it's something that's ripe for abuse. Um, well, in yeah. Terms so of- so um, Arizona and California, you know, pretty much the whole time I was there had, you know, legal or medical approved cannabis. Well, neither of those laws um, apply federally. So you had people who thought they were in compliance with the law, um, had their card, had their, you know, had their uh, weights and measurements in order and would still get stopped, harassed, um, have their, you know, have their uh, things uh, confiscated, um, destroyed, sometimes have their vehicles torn apart, um, just based on having something that's otherwise legal in, in your state. Yeah, I, I can see uh, definitely very ripe for abuse. Uh, that That's crazy to see. I mean, I've well, just the, the videos that I've, I've seen, it's just people who are questioning and, and it's just not really understood why these borders are set up. Um, you know, obviously they bring up questions of profiling or something like this. Oh, because I speak with an accent or because I have darker skin or something like this. Uh, yeah, it just seems like it was very problematic in terms of carrying that out. Right. So and the, the checkpoints, um, as well as the ports of entry where we, we didn't actually work the ports of entry. There was uh, they call it the office of field operations or, or CBP that, that mans the, uh, the actual ports of entry where people come in and out. Um, but so that, that already low barrier for initiating an investigation that we enjoyed within that hundred air miles at a checkpoint or a port of entry, that's even lower. I mean, there's, but the law states, at least this is what we were taught in the academy, mere suspicion, which can be translated as a gut feeling. So based on a gut feeling, of illegal activity, a federal agent at a checkpoint can stop you and detain you for as long as as is necessary to conduct an investigation, which could mean just tearing apart your car. And if they don't find anything, the repercussion is, well, here's a form and uh, within 30 days or whatever they give you, um, yeah, fill this out, send it in, and the government might reimburse you a little bit for, for what we did to your car. Jeez, just ripping it up. And were you, cause I've, I've dealt with this and, you know, from my own background, I'm Canadian born and uh, became naturalized. So I'm very familiar with uh, <laughs> the customs and border patrol, uh, you know, shepherding back and forth between the U S and Canada. Uh, the question that I have is, were you also tasked at times with doing a bit more research or investigations? Uh, the reason I ask is because I've had officers ask me about, my social media accounts, 
you know, online stuff? Or are there perhaps situations where you're alerted that someone might be about to enter uh, that you're kind of forced to track or anything like that? Not generally. I mean, sometimes if, if uh, you know, sometimes there would be kind of uh, bulletins from, from other agencies um, saying that, yes, we believe, you know, but that was usually like, cartel matters that was usually like things you know when when they would find out about some some kind of cartel infighting or whatever they would just say hey you know look out in this area for the next you know period of time we never really got anything um as far as like you know looking for for citizens or anything like that and and i honestly i mean i've heard the reports of of um people being asked at, at ports of entry for for information about social media and stuff like that, um, especially when it comes to journalists, um, because they were, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of enemy number one under the Trump administration. Um, well, depending on depending on what you reported, but um, uh, yeah, I, that was just never anything that that uh, maybe I never <laughs> made it to that echelon of, of responsibility. But yeah, that was that was never something I really experienced. And so on the way forward, in terms of what the U.S. can do, uh, I'm interested in, in, in terms of what your take is on, obviously, you no longer hold the views that you used to have um, when, you, when you held that position, but maybe explain to our readers now what your views are um, and maybe what your hopes are for the Biden administration in, in, in regards to immigration. Well, um, Brian Kaplan... Uh, has actually, uh, he wrote a book called Open Borders. Um, uh, thanks to actually to, to David for, you know, a couple of years back inviting me to Liberty Con to speak at, at that wonderful event. I was able to meet Brian Kaplan and um, just, you know, through that chance encounter, um, he ended up sending me a, an advanced copy of Open Borders. So I was able to read that and I mean, I was already pretty, pretty well convinced, but like after reading that book, there's just almost no good reason to treat immigration the way that we, we, we continue to treat it. Um, I would say, so, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that Biden is proposing, I think is great. I mean, DACA seems like a no brainer to me. Um, uh, the the temporary protected status, I, I think, you know, makes a lot of sense. Having a pathway to to, to citizenship makes a lot of sense. Um, but honestly, I mean, short of just going full anarchic, open borders, free for all, which you know, to be honest, I would I would kind of love. Um, I think the two best things we can do um, to kind of improve the situation for people looking to come here and people um, who don't actually want to come here, who, who just are kind of fleeing violence. Uh, number one, the best thing we can do is, is end the war on drugs. I mean, it, it, people kind of look at me sideways when I say that, you know, unless you're already convinced of this, but um, 
the war on drugs is the reason Mexico is such a hellhole. And Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, El Salvador especially. I mean, the US demand for illicit drugs is almost entirely satiated by Central America and, and Mexico. So if we were able to move that industry to the US, I mean, imagine one, the jobs created if we were to start manufacturing our own illicit substances, imagine how much safer those substances would be. And imagine the power that we would be taking away from the cartels who are making life very, very difficult for people in these, these areas. So the first thing we can do to solve immigration is um, stop making people's countries so awful to live in. <laughs> and a good chunk of them might not ever want to leave. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily interested in, in um, convincing people not to come because you know what, I love, uh, I love eating people's food from different places. I love meeting people who've had a different life experience. I like, I like the, you know, kind of the beauty of, of uh, what immigration brings us. So if people do want to come, even after we've, uh, you know, eliminated the war on drugs and made their countries safer to, to live in, um, I mean, a pathway to citizenship is great for those who want it, but I, I just from, you know, every person that I caught, I had to interview. And then, you know, whenever I would be assigned to uh, processing, we would have to do even, even more in-depth interviews with these people. Most people that I talked to had zero interest in becoming a citizen. They wanted to come work for a period, save up some money, usually save up enough money to go back and buy a piece of land so that they weren't beholden to somebody else in their home country um, and then leave. So, you know, having all these big fancy bells and whistles immigration policies looks good and yeah, it's, you know, it probably gets some politicians votes. It doesn't really seem like those things are what, what people, at least the people that I was, you know, maybe, maybe the, the higher skilled immigrants are, are, you know, they're, they're not coming through the Southern border. They're not, they're not crossing no. like that. So um, maybe there is a need for the, those, those kind of regulations to be, to be played with a little bit, but for, you know, the people that I was interacting with, the people that I was apprehending um, and deporting uh, a, a broad based worker program where you can show up get your, your piece of paper stamped saying, I'm allowed to be here. I can work as long as I need to. I can, you know, rent a house. I can go to the grocery store without fear of just being snatched up by some ICE agent or whatever. You know, I think that right there, you know, the, between the drug war and a broad-based worker program. And sure, if you've stayed here and worked here for several years and you like it and you want to become a citizen, by all means, go ahead, do the work get the get the citizenship i just i'm not really convinced that that's what most people want mm -hmm. yeah and it's, it's interesting you say the, the guest worker program because there is one in canada called the temporary foreign worker program and it's very much like what you described now it's not at the scale um that would maybe be ideal but it's people who come from predominantly uh south america or latin america and 
they take jobs uh, in the wineries, picking grapes or in the agricultural sector, and they'll be here for the season or like the, the, the summer season or harvest season. And then they go home and at least from my view, everybody is better off. They get to earn way more money than they otherwise would. They provide us with a super valuable um, service at, a, at a, obviously a competitive price. They get to make their lives better for their family and, and whoever, whomever they're supporting at home. And it's very much like what you said. It's just people looking for a job. And right. if there are jobs there, which more often there are not, more often than not there are, um, why not let them fill that gap um, as needed? So, I mean, that's a that's a that's an interesting point on a lot of people get wrapped up in when we talk about immigration, they'll be like, well, what if, what if they don't speak the language or what if their culture is different or what if they vote? I mean, I hear conservatives say this all the time. They'll be like, well, but they're only going to vote for Democrats. And it's like, well, a temporary foreign worker program pretty much knocks all of those arguments out because they're not voting. Who cares what language they're speaking? They're here to work. Um, all of those questions um, it's like, okay, well, all of those concerns are, are now thrown out. Not that there aren't even good solutions to, to solve those as well, but um, it's just a very simple way of saying, okay, yeah, you, I mean, if you, if you want to come here and you, you want to apply yourself and, and, and make money and ultimately go home, or maybe you don't, and you want to go through the process to become a citizen at one point, um, let's kind of open that door for people um, in that mutually beneficial way. So uh, super interesting. A couple of things on, on that, that you just brought up. Um, the, the, the voting, I mean, Cato has done some great work on this. Uh, the, the vast majority of people who come here, especially in, in the lower skills have almost no interest in, in voting. Most of them, you know, once they get the, the, the permanent resident card where that's kind of your, your golden ticket. Um, I mean, you've got to, once you've got the permanent resident card, you've got to mess up pretty bad before, before you're, you're deported. Um, so once you have that permanent resident card, most people are like very happy. They can come and go as they please. They, they, they have legitimate status. Um, but you need to take that extra step and it's a lot of money, a lot of paperwork, a lot of waiting, most most people just aren't that interested in casting a vote, um, and if, if they are, well, they vote Democrat for a reason, and that's not because um, that's how most people identify. Because uh, people might be surprised to hear this. I I actually talked to several people who were excited, you know, illegal immigrants, people that I arrested and was about to deport. They were excited that Trump was coming on. You know, this is, uh, you know, I left in 2018. So this was, this was some time ago, but they were excited for Trump because Trump meant business to them. So to them, Trump was going to come fix the economy. That meant more jobs. That meant, you know, well, next time they try to get in, there might be a job waiting for them when they get here. So um, I, they, I don't think these people care about politics um, to the degree that 
that um, that one might assume um, mm-hmm. that they, they care about is there going to be a job here when I get here? Um, so yeah, Cato has shown they don't really vote. They don't really care. And they vote Democrat because the Republicans call them freeloaders and um, pests and rapists and murderers. Why, why would you vote for somebody who, who portrays an entire group of people that way? <laughs> I mean, it, it, the majority just, of the people that I, it, that I interacted with were hardworking, you know, Catholic or Christian. They would fit right into the Republican uh, milieu, milieu, but if you're, if you're, if the Republicans are going to, to demonize and badmouth them, well, they're going to, they're just going to go look somewhere else, you know, yeah. if, if they, if they have an interest at all. And what's interesting on that note of Cato is they've also done, um, some questionnaire and polling to migrants to figure out beyond party affiliation, what do they actually think? And pretty much across every immigration class, issue by issue, they're in the they're within the margin of error for your average American. Right. So it's not like it's not like people and this includes refugees. So these are people who are just fleeing because they absolutely have to because the cartel has overrun their town or they're from Syria and, and their country has been taken over by ISIS or civil war, what have you. Um, these people come here and when you poll them, they're pretty close to the average opinion of your ordinary American. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the best way it was put was like on a couple issues, there's about a, a about a three year lag and so if you were to frame it as like, okay, well, we would like to have 500 people um, be given their, their ability to work here, and it would be 500 people from 2018, would that scare anyone? No. They'd be like, oh, okay, like, that's fine. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to, to know. And I mean, that's a it's a shame that we we have to wrap up because that could be an, a whole two hour conversation about the the nuances and the ins and outs of all of those um, all of the responses to the anti immigration position. But um, Josh, this has been been fantastic. Thank you very much for for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story and your experience. And uh, as as immigration comes up, we'll certainly certainly think of you and have you back on to to talk about what's next yeah please do and thanks again for having me that was great perfect and that does it for consumer choice radio here on the big talker 1067 fm thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives check with consumer choice radio for much more and as always if you are listening online through your favorite podcast app we appreciate that be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio. Uh, thanks again. I guess I was wrong. I just don't belong. But then I've been there.